Good morning. If you do not have a Bible and you would like a Bible either to read today or to take home forever, you will see our Frontlines team coming around. They've got a Bible, handing them out. Just raise your hand and they'll give you one. This morning we are reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Spencer Adams. I get to be the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City. Uh, And occasionally I get to be up here to open God's word with you, which I always delight in getting to do. We're going to do what Matt often invites us to do, or always invites us to do, which is check in on an emotional level, see how we're feeling before we dive in, because we hope that you leave a Sunday morning reunion gathering with your, your mind stirred up, but we also recognize that following Jesus is about our hearts as well, and so we want to just stop and check in. And I want to just acknowledge, as I was singing and praying along with Jan there, um, I've done this enough times that I don't get up generally with too much anxiety, but I'm feeling some anxiety this morning. So like, I just want to be honest about my own state this morning. So if you could just pray for me, I, I think just what we're talking about this morning matters so much to me that I want, uh, I want God to be at work. And so, yeah, pray for me. Um, but we'll take a moment where you can check in for yourself, and then uh, I'll lead us in prayer, and we'll get started. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are with us because Jesus promised when he left uh, that he would not leave us alone, um, that your spirit was going to come and was going to dwell in us. So we believe that you are with us today, that you are uh, dwelling in us, and that the same power that was at work in Jesus is now at work in us. And so we take great hope and delight in that. So we pray, Spirit, that this morning you would continue the work 
uh, that you have been doing us of transforming our minds uh, to think, to, to look at the world more like God looks at it in our hearts to, to love you and to love the people around us the way you would have us love. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, I am reading this book right now just got started. Matt and I are actually reading it together. It's called No Silver Bullets. It's, it's about ministry and the author's proposing different shifts, small shifts in ministry that make a big deal in discipleship. But one of the chapters in this, the author Daniel M. focuses on the way that adults learn. And he talks about how adults are not blank slates when we come to learn things. Whereas a child, perhaps, I know there are a few teachers in the room, so you may disagree with what I'm about to say, but um, whereas a child might come to a lesson more or less as a blank slate, they haven't necessarily learned much on that topic in the past, they don't necessarily have any assumptions about it, say multiplication, the teacher says three times three is nine, so the student isn't sitting there questioning that. Well, I heard, they just, okay, three times three is nine. Whereas adults, when we approach things, we likely have some sort of past learning or reading that we've done that's related to this topic, or we have some assumptions. Maybe we even have some emotional baggage that we bring to what we're gonna learn. So I was reading that in the last couple of weeks and reflecting on it as I was preparing for this message, and so I wanna confront our thesis or our main idea for this morning right at the start, confront it head on and acknowledge some of the assumptions, some of the maybe even baggage that some of us might bring to this idea. So on the screen, you're gonna see a bit of a overarching sort of thesis statement for this morning and it's this, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a missionary. Now let me give you what I bring to this statement by way of past experience. My parents, for much of my childhood, worked in missions organizations. So if you're not familiar with what that is, that's organizations whose sole purpose is to get missionaries primarily to get missionaries overseas to the mission field, get them trained to do that, support them while they're there, help them when they're coming home and needing rest, needing further training, help them when they're, uh, if they ever conclude their time on the mission field to come home and resettle and all that sort of stuff. And so because of my parents' work in those organizations, I got to meet all these incredible men and women who loved Jesus so deeply and who were willing to go to every corner of the world, to people who had never heard his name. And I got to hear these amazing stories of the work that these people did, of people showing up at their door, having had a dream or a vision about Jesus and showing up and wanting to know more and just the courage and the perseverance that these people had. And so I come at it with a very you know, if I'm honest, a sort of a romanticized view of what it means to be a missionary. But I know that that's not everybody's experience. Maybe if I say that a follower of Jesus is a missionary, your mind perhaps immediately goes, if you've spent some time in the scriptures, you think of the Apostle Paul. And maybe you think of a moment like Paul in the Areopagus where he's talking to these Greek scholars and he articulates the gospel in this beautifully intelligent, creative way, and you've read that and you're intimidated by it. You think, I am not equipped for that. That is not my thing. Uh, So you're sort of intimidated or terrified by the whole idea of being a missionary. Or perhaps you think about someone like Mother Teresa and her care for the poor, the marginalized, the impoverished, the sick in a place like Calcutta. And so you think somewhat fondly or highly of missionaries, but it's sort of a distant concept. 
you're thinking, I'm not taking any trips to Calcutta anytime soon, so I can think somewhat highly of a missionary, but it's, it's fairly removed for me. And maybe, there, in fact, likely there are some people in this room who are still somewhat skeptical about Christianity, about religion in general, perhaps. And so your mind goes to some of the abuses or the wrongs done in the name of religion by people calling themselves missionaries at different points in history. Maybe you think about residential schools, a terrible thing that happened right here in Canada. And so you're wary or uncomfortable with the whole concept of a missionary. And so I think it's, as I said, I think it's valuable for us to recognize what assumptions and baggage we might bring to this idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. The problem with each of these conceptions of what it means to be a missionary is it's really thinking about the work that a missionary does. And if you were here last week and you heard Matt introduce us to the next few weeks of our identity as followers of Jesus, that's really where we need to start. Not with what missionaries do or have done or what we think maybe they've done at some point in history, As you might remember from last week, Matt said, being comes before doing. We need to establish our identity before we ever talk about how we ought to live our lives. And so, though it may seem obvious to you that I'm about to say this, or, you know, straightforward, you're already ahead of me on this, I think it bears saying out loud at the start anyways. Being a missionary is not something we do or a job we accept, or, or you know, going to some forward, uh, foreign place, or getting some particular seminary degree. Being a missionary is a natural part of the identity of a Jesus follower. Being a missionary is a natural part of the identity of a Jesus follower. And so you might now be asking, okay, help me get to that place where I understand how it's a natural part of following Jesus. I will do just that. Or that is my hope and prayer for this morning. So let's go back to the four questions. If you've been around Church of the City at all over the last couple of years, you've probably heard these before. If you were here last week, you certainly heard them. The four questions are this. And this is our way of drilling down on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then lastly, how we ought to live. But we need to start with the first two questions, which are, who is God and what has God done? Because we need to figure those things out before we can ever move to question three, which is, who are we in light of this? Who are we in light of who God is in what God has done? And then lastly, in light of who we are, how should we live our lives? And so last week, just to quickly fly over what Matt talked about, who is God? Well, God is our Father, who has created us in his image and adopted us as his children through the work of Jesus. And so, we are family But I hope you can see why we need to figure out who God is and what he's done before we ever get to that place. But we are family. We are the family of God. And what should we do? We should love one another and share life together. For those of you who are in this room uh, this morning and you've been a part of a church community uh, for any length, you know, reasonable length of time in your life, or maybe even you haven't been, but you've read the occasional news story about a church or something, you may also recognize this, that though we are now a family through the work of Christ, adopted by the Father, we are a family that, uh, we're still a family of broken people, aren't we? It does, sadly, it doesn't take too long (laughs) to realize that. We don't all of a sudden wake up knowing perfectly how to love each other and uh, never let each other down. We still do those things. 
We still let each other down. We still, at times, question our place in the family, wondering if we really belong. We still fail to live up to the example set by Christ all too often, and on and on and on. In other words, we need help being a family, don't we? Am I alone in that, or is everybody else, like, doing it perfectly? We need help being a family, I think. Let's think about another, let's actually go back two weeks to when Matt laid out the gospel for us. If you remember, Matt talked about how the gospel is salvation in three parts or in three tenses. You're like, oh no, English class again, but bear with me. When we put our trust in Jesus, we were saved from the penalty of sin. The debt that we had incurred, God forgave through the work of Christ. So there's this past reality to salvation if you've put your trust in Jesus. But there's also a present reality that Jesus is giving us the power over sin in our lives. But just like that whole loving each other as a family thing, that doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a daily reality. It's a daily practice. And so then the question becomes like, where do we get that power? How do we like learn how to love each other as family? If, if that's who we are, you know, I, I need to keep growing in that. And how do I do that? Or this power over sin, where do I get that power? And the answer is this, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how we do it, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so again, raises another question. What does that look like? How does that happen? How does that lead to the things that you're talking about? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and I know Matt has talked about this before, but it's been a little while, so I think it's worth revisiting. But an interesting question is, how did Jesus do the work that he did during his earthly ministry? How did he do that work? I mean, if you've read the Gospels at all, you've heard or you've read about Jesus healing the sick, freeing people oppressed by demons, multiplying loaves and fish to feed hungry crowds. How did he do that? And a common answer often is, well, Jesus was God. He was a man, but he was also God, and so he did it by being divine. Duh. But I think that answer misses a whole lot. I do think that there are certain moments in the Gospels where it was unmistakable to the disciples that divinity was breaking through. Think about a moment like the transfiguration where a few disciples are up on a mountaintop with Jesus, and all of a sudden he's transformed and they realize this is no mere man. However, there's this challenge to that answer as sort of a blanket answer. Well, he did those things by being God. Jesus makes this somewhat confounding promise, or it's certainly, it's challenging. It's found in John 14, 12. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his followers, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So this really challenges that answer, doesn't it? That Jesus did everything he did because he was God. But then he says this frustrating thing here. You're going to do the same things that I am doing. And you're going to keep doing them and multiply them. And they're going to keep happening. And we say, okay, well, I'm not God. At least I'm not. I hope you can recognize that you're not. I hope we're agreed on that. I'm not God, so how am I going to do the things that Jesus did? I believe that scripture points us to the fact that Jesus did much of his ministry not through simply being divine, but by being a man full of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Scott McKnight wrote this little book uh, that I read in the last couple of years called Open to the Spirit, talking about Jesus' ministry and the, the, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. A great short little book if you want to just begin thinking about some of this stuff. He says this, Every major facet of the life of Jesus is a spirit event, so much so that we need to see that the more Christ-like we become, the more spirit you will we become. Sometimes we, there are these words that we kind of gloss over what the word actually means. And so uh, Scott has those dashes in there. The more spirit you will, spiritual we become. Again, the closer our spirituality, our spirituality gets to Jesus, the more dependent on and empowered by the spirit we will be. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's huge. That is huge. The more the, the closer our spirituality gets to Jesus, the more dependent on and empowered by the Spirit we will be. We can't miss that, friends. We can't. So if we want to know what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit or to be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, going back to that Matthew 28 passage that I believe we looked at last week, what does that look like? Well, we should look at the life of Jesus because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do just that. But before we get there, let's look at our four questions in light of this morning. Who is God? Well, God is Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And what has God done? Well, the Holy Spirit sent and empowered Jesus to bring good news to the world and sent and empowered us to do the same. The Spirit sent and empowered Jesus to bring good news to the world and is sending and empowering us to do the same. So in other words, friends, we serve a missionary God, a missionary God who was was willing to come to the lost to bring good news. And so who are we? We are empowered missionaries filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what should we do? Well, we go into the world to display the power of the gospel and word and deed. And so, let's look at the life of Jesus. And this morning we're going to consider three things that I think result from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are many more, but we're going to look at three this morning. And I hope you'll see as we look at these three things, as we look at the life of Jesus, and also a little bit at the life of the early church, how they continued on that same work that Jesus had been doing, I hope you'll see some of the synergy between all these three things. They're not unique, distinct categories, because it's the same spirit empowering all of them, okay? So, the first thing that results from being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we are assured of the Father's love. You might be thinking, well, I thought Matt talked about that last week. Like, isn't that just related to us being a family? Well, it absolutely is related to us being a family, but I hope you'll see that it's absolutely tied to us being faithful, empowered missionaries as well. Let's look at the life of Jesus and see how he, through the, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, was assured of the Father's love. If you have a Bible, we're going to do a little bit of flipping around, okay? So maybe do some, like, thumb exercises in the next 30 seconds or so. Uh, go to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to start reading at verses 9 to 11. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. 
And so through this moment, this baptism of Jesus where he's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Father assures Jesus of his love for him. And remember, if you uh, have a Bible and you're in the Gospel of Mark there, look at the ministry in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus has already done. There isn't any. I'll just save you some time. We're in Mark 1, verses 9 to 11. This is before Jesus has done anything, which I don't know about you, friends, but this gives me great joy and peace, knowing that the Father gives this this, uh, statement of love and of being so proud of Jesus before he's done any ministry. If there was ever cementing for us in a passage, being before doing, this is it right here. This is how Jeff Vanderstelt talks about this in his book, Saturate. He says, Jesus was assured of the Father's love before he went out to love others. The same is now true for us. We need the same affirmation. If we're going to go and show the world the love of the Father, we need to know we are dearly loved by him as well. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know if you and your missional community had the opportunity to work through some of those materials that I had out on the table last week. I don't do this often, okay? Bear with me for one second. As one of your pastors, if you are in a missional community, please give those primers a few minutes in the life of your missional community over the next couple of weeks. I know if you were to visit our Pollock, you know that uh, there's a lot going on uh, between trying to just get some food in kids and have them not die and have the tiniest bit of meaningful conversation. It's a lot. But we buckled down in this last week, and I was so proud of us, and we, have, we had a great conversation going through, I think it was a great conversation anyway, going through those materials. And so if you're a part of a missional community, please, please, take some, set some time apart over the next couple of weeks to go through it. If you went through last week's, you talked a little bit about family traditions. And I don't know, for those of you in this room who are married, There's this kind of weird transitional time, isn't there, where after you get married, all of a sudden you're part of a new family, and therefore, technically, you're part of new family traditions, but at first, you're kind of thinking, am I a part of these? You know, has anybody else experienced that? Like, you're at a family gathering, and you see, like, oh, they're doing something that's part of, you know, the... the, this is a Johnson family thing, or, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, the, the Adams family thing, and you're like, Am I, do I, should I just jump in and just do this, or should I wait to be invited? And you kind of need that affirmation at first, don't you, before you can dive in there. Someone needs to say, come on, you're part of the family, get in here. And that's what I think we're talking about here, that there's this time where we think, yeah, I, w- I guess I would call myself a Jesus follower, but I'm not, I'm not equipped to, you know, tell someone else about Jesus or about what's happened in my life. And this passage is saying, hey, the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit is that promise to you. You are a part of the family, and I'm going to fill you, and you're going to go out as a missionary. There's no, you know, transitionary period where, okay, you're a follower of Jesus, now you have the uh, two-year probationary period, and then after that, I will perhaps send you out as a missionary. We'll do your performance review, and then the Spirit will perhaps send you out as a missionary. No! If you have the Spirit, which you do if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are empowered. You're a part of the family. You can know that the Father is proud of you and loves you, and you are a representative of the family as well. And we see this happening in the book of, uh, in the book of Acts, in that passage Elissa read for us, but that's not actually what we're going to read in this moment. Uh, don't turn here. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. You'll have enough flipping to do as it is. Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You get to participate in all the weird family traditions, and you are a representative of the family. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you, received, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit is the way that we, is the, the channel, is the power through which we are able to relate to God as our Father and be a representative of Jesus here on the earth. The second thing that results from being filled with the Holy Spirit, first is we are assured of the Father's love, and secondly, we are given power over sin. Again, we touched on this briefly as we thought about two of the three tenses of the gospel, that we are given power over sin. How do we see this in Jesus' life? This one I will get you to flip there if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now we're flipping to another one of the gospels, but this moment in the narrative of the life of Jesus falls just after his baptism, okay? Just to sort of situate you where this is. Luke 4, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And if you, we're not going to read that whole narrative, but Jesus endures these temptations through the power of the Spirit. I, a number of years ago, read this book called The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, and he had this, he proposed this idea there that was a a huge shift for me. He suggests that maybe, I think we often think that Satan was sort of watching Jesus and saw, oh, he's been fasting now for a little while. He's at his weakest. Now's the time to jump in with some temptations. And perhaps maybe that was the thinking of Satan, but Willard proposes this idea that the Spirit actually took Jesus into the wilderness and invited him into this process of fasting and being free from distraction so that he would be at his strongest, so that he would be most full of the Spirit. Forget about food for a while. Forget about the, you know, the crowds. Forget about everything else and be filled with me because you're going to need me because temptation is coming. And again, we see this continuing on in the life of believers after the life of Jesus. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it quickly. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So being filled with the Spirit gives us power over sin. And I hope you can see how, number one, being assured of the Father's love, and number two, receiving power over sin, how those are very intimately linked. Because as we recognize in newer and deeper ways the, the love that God has for us and our place in the family, that fills our hearts up with the love of God and the affection that we have for our Father. And gradually, sin has less and less of a place in our hearts. There's just not room for it. Going back to Scott McKnight in his book, Open to the Spirit, he's, here's how he talks about this. The deepest will of God is that we believe in Christ and love God and love others with every globule of our being. Scientists in the room, did I just say globule right? It's not a word that I often accompany in uh, you know, pastoral reading. Let's just say I did. With every globule of our being. So to sin is to be unbelieving toward Christ and unloving toward God and others. Sin defaces the mission of God in this world, the mission of reconciling all things in Christ. 
And so, then, the inverse is also true, that as we grow in our love for God, our Father, and through that, our love for the people around us, sin just has less and less of a place in our lives. So we receive power over sin, and then, I hope you can see how number three follows directly, and is in partnership with number two. Number three is we display the gospel in word and deed. Someone who goes about each day knowing that they are loved and who's gradually putting away sin from their life, putting away greed and anger and lust, I hope you can already see how, apart from any sort of miraculous display of the Spirit's power, how that's already a testament to the gospel. Can we agree to that? Like a person who is, goes through each day assured that they are loved, they have a place in a family, and that sin is being put away from their lives. That's already, people are going to say, what's going on with her? Like, something's different there. I hope you can recognize that, but there's more to it. There's more. Looking back at the life of Jesus, if you're still in Luke 4, we're now going to read verses 16 to 22. This is talking about a moment, again, following just after that temptation. And he came to Nazareth. This is Luke 14, starting at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. The first century mic drop here by Jesus. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? In other words, we know who this is. This is Jesus. We watched him growing up. We watched him run around with the other kids. And yet, something's happening here. Jesus, friends, Jesus could not state more clearly that the work that he was doing and was going to do in his ministry was because of the Holy Spirit's filling. The preaching of the gospel that he was going to do, declaring good news, the freeing of captives, the returning of sight to the blind. And then, again, if you've spent any time in the New Testament or in the book of Acts specifically, we see the exact same work that Jesus did in his ministry continuing on through the book of Acts. And why is that? Because it was the exact same spirit that filled and empowered the disciples that came after Jesus. If we don't have time to, to go and read that today, but there are all sorts of moments. I would suggest you start with Acts chapter 2, where we see the things that the church was up to and signs and wonders it talks about in one of the passages in Acts chapter 2, which is referencing back to the works that Jesus did. The same signs and wonders were being done by his followers. The apostles did the same work that Jesus did because they were filled with the same spirit that Jesus was and that you and I have in us today if you're a follower of Jesus. And friends, this is how disciples are made. I hope you realize that. It's not some secret formula that you have to go to seminary. You know, they give you, in your, you know, at your graduation, like, here's the formula for making disciples. Uh, it's growing together through the power of the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus. Together, as, as we go out and as we display the gospel, as we receive power over sin, as we love each other better as a family. That's how disciples are made. That's it. It's kind of unexciting, isn't it? 
This is how Todd Moore, Todd is a, a great guy in the saturate and soma circles that we are a part of as a church. Here's how he put this in, in, at one point. The primary calling, I love this by the way, this is so well put. The primary calling on the life of every follower of Jesus, every person in every church is to help make disciples. I hope that's not novel for you. <laughs> but he goes on, the Holy Spirit is the primary discipler and equipper of people. Okay, so our job is to make disciples, but the Holy Spirit is the primary discipler. So there's kind of a one and one here. How do we put those together? For life and mission to make disciples, we must live in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. For life and mission, we must live in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. And if you remember to a message Matt brought to us a number of months ago, this happens in both the miraculous and the mundane. That really stuck with me. I don't know if you stole that from somebody else, Matt. You don't have to nod your head or anything. We'll, we'll assume it was straight from you. That stuck with me, both in the miraculous and in the mundane. I hope you believe that the spirit that's in you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and so he can do the miraculous through you. But he also wants to work in the mundane. That was... The point, that was why I asked Natalie to share that story last week, I think it was last week, of, of our missional community just having our potlucks outside over the summer. Very mundane, but it required a bit of work. You know, we had to bring tables out and set up on the front lawn, and we were like, should we really do this? But we felt like God wanted us to do it for one more summer at least. And things happened. God blessed it. People came. We were able to have great conversations. Neighbors that we didn't interact with very much, we got to interact with almost on a weekly basis, and it was a blessing. So the Spirit does this work, displaying the gospel and word and deed, both in the miraculous and in the mundane. And friends, that's kind of it. It's, I have a couple points of application for us, but before we get there, I want to give you a small confession. Usually on Saturday nights, I sit down with my message and I just go over it again because I finished it up at some point during the week and I just review it. And... I was feeling some regret as I reviewed my notes, and I thought, I didn't really give people much, many tools, many, you know, tools in the tool belt, because if you've tried any of this, going out and displaying the gospel in word and deed, let alone experiencing power over sin in your life, loving, uh, you know, us loving each other well, it's hard work. So as I reviewed my notes, I thought, man, I I didn't really give people a lot of tools. I, I will give you a couple things to think about to take away as application, but I thought, man, it's all, it's all this talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit here and not a whole lot, and, and that was like that moment where I said, oh boy, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, do you believe what you're about to say tomorrow? Do you believe that I actually have this power? Because if you do, then talk about me. Talk about me and allow me to do the work in people's lives. I inadvertently, and I felt I was standing in my driveway at this point and just stood there for a while feeling convicted. And I want to confess this to you because this is still a process in my life of believing that I have the Spirit at work in me and that the Spirit has the power to do these things. Because last night I thought, man, I need to give people like really great tips and tricks about how to display the gospel in word and deed. And there are certainly great books written about that that you can dive into. Saturate and Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstahl are two, are two great starters for that. And I felt like the Spirit said, do you trust me? Do you trust that I have this power and that I can do this work in people's lives? And that apart from me, we can do nothing. 
And so this is still a work in my life, friends. The Holy Spirit is still convicting me about this. I hope through this morning you felt some of that and are recognizing or being reminded that the, of the power that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. So a couple of small things for application. I would invite you every morning, this week, and if you, I, I think this would be a great permanent practice, but this week, wake up and pray this. Perhaps before your feet even hit the floor, even before, gasp, you look at your phone. Pray this, Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you help me to know the love of God a little bit more today than I did yesterday? Help me know the love that God the Father has for me more today than I did yesterday. And two, would you help me to hear your voice when you invite me to display the gospel in word or deed? And I'm going to be obedient. Help me to hear your voice because I too often miss it. And if I hear it, I'm going to be obedient. Pray that prayer. And friends, I think we'll be alarmed with what happens. Truly, I really do. I've done that a couple times in my life and it was alarming what did happen. And so I'm committing this week that I'm going to pray that prayer with you. And I would invite you to do it. And so as we close, I just want to revisit the passage that Elissa read for us. The, some of the final words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and where we wait for him to return. He said, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, you'll receive power and then it would be really great if you could be my witnesses. He says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. As we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, the gospel is going to go out. So let's tap into that power. Let's listen to the voice of the Spirit because then we will be missionaries who are seeing God's kingdom grow in our city. Let's pray together. Jesus, we... I, this morning, want to take you at your word when you said to your disciples that you leaving was actually going to be better for them and for the mission of the gospel going out. I, I often find myself disbelieving that. If Jesus were just here today, but you said that you were going to send your spirit and that the same work that you did, we were going to do. Help me, help me to believe that. Today, this week, and in the years ahead as I follow you. And I pray that the same would be true uh, for my brothers and sisters in Church of the City. Because I believe if we experience your power, Holy Spirit, then the gospel's gonna go out. We won't be able to stop it. It'll be this runaway train, and we'll just be following along behind celebrating. We pray for your power, Spirit. We pray for your power. In Jesus' name, amen.